All right, we've been in the book of First John. We're going to slowly, slowly walk our way through this book, but we're going to get through it. Um, it's just there's too much to be able to do. I don't want to skip over a lot, so we're going to just take it kind of step by step. Um, John is a book about assurances. It's a book about fellowship. Um, John basically makes a distinction between um, this idea of fellowship and relationship. So you have to remember, you, you have to keep this in mind. The, this book is written so that you can know that you're a Christian. Um, there was a belief during this time called Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that there is, there is good and evil, which we would agree with. But they said the highest point was good, spiritual world, the heavenly world. The lowest point was evil. It was bad, it was material, it was earthly. And they taught that these two worlds did not ever come in contact with one another. Now the problem with that is if you believe that, then, then when we talk about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and we say that Jesus Christ was God and he came in flesh, Gnosticism said that was impossible. So they denied the virgin birth. They denied the deity of Christ. So, so they, they had to say that the person named Jesus was somebody else, but he wasn't God. So it became heresy. What people started to believe was that there, then there were these two levels, and they weren't connected. So some people walked around saying, I'm going to live at this level. I'm going to deny everything that's fleshly, earthly, material. Um, I'm going to live in poverty. I'm going uh, I'm I'm to crucify my flesh. I'm going to deny it food. I'm going to deny it all kinds of things. And I'm going to live at this spiritual level to know God. And, and I'm going to be, and this was a term, enlightened. And if you will pursue God like I pursue God, then you can attain the nirvana, so to speak, that I have arrived at. There's another group that said, you know what? Um, I have a relationship with God too. But that world and this world don't mix. So whatever I do in this world doesn't matter. So I can be spiritual, and then I can go out and I can live however I want. And John addresses those kinds of attitudes throughout the book. You're going to see it especially this morning. When he, say, when he starts to talk about this, he's going to say, no, wait a minute. These two worlds are very connected. So in this book, you see things like um, a lot of talk about fellowship. A lot of talk about truth versus lies. A lot of talk about lightness versus darkness. You're going to see those contrasts all the time. Because John's trying to take that contrast between that world and this world. And he's trying to bring those two together. All right? So, um, with that in mind, 1 John um, chapter 2 is where we are. And um, here's what he says. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to spend a little time. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. All right, let's talk about know. See that first word, know? We know. Here's what's interesting. The word is gnos. It, it comes from, the, the word gnostic is a Greek word that gnosis and earth. They didn't call it, it wasn't like, okay, come to the first church of Gnosticism. All right, they didn't have it. We've termed it that since then. But the idea of gnostic is a Greek word gnosis. And this word know is that word. It's used 42 times in John. So 42 times in five chapters, John talks about no, 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 no. Now, let me ask you something. If, 
Somebody uses the word no 42 times in five chapters. What do you think the focus of the book is? Knowing. Exactly right. He said this whole book, this whole idea over and over again is you can know. You can know that you are a Christian. Now, here, here's where this gets a little complicated because some of you came from backgrounds where, you're, where, where the faith, the religious system taught you can't know. If you came from a Roman Catholic background, we have a lot of people here who came from a Roman Catholic background, you were taught and you were brought up that you could never know for sure you were saved. You could do a lot of things, and you probably were, but you could never know for sure. You never, ever had the assurance that when you took your last breath, you went from this world to eternity with God. You could never know that for sure. Um, so some of you came from that background. Some of you came from a really super like conservative Baptist kind of background. And one of the things you were taught was that you were to never question your salvation. Once saved, all is saved, which is what I believe. But you were taught that it's wrong to even question your salvation. So there's kind of like two extremes here. Some of you on that extreme, some of you on this extreme. John brings it in the middle and he says, no, 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 you can know. And he's going to give us some tests. And he says, one of the things that he says is, we know that we, that we have come to know him. Let me give you a better way to say this. He says, um, literally, by this we know that we have known him, um, is the way. Now, let's talk about this whole idea of know, okay? Um, we in our world, in our culture, assume, uh, um, put together knowing with mental. Okay, uh, for instance, the mayor of Sioux City is um, Bob Scott. Okay, so if I say, do you know Bob Scott? There's some of you in here that know the name, so you'd say, yeah, I, I know. He's like the mayor of Sioux City and owns like the Bandits. He does, by the way, or did. Um, so, and you would say, I, I, I know him. Some of you have had have no clue, and you don't care. So you'd say, no, I don't know him. Some of you have actually probably had lunch with him or have been in a social setting with him. And you say, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, I know him. He would know my name. Well, that's a little bit different level of knowledge. When the Bible talks about no, it goes far beyond that. Even all the way back into Genesis, we're introduced to the concept. When it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. And in that context, there's a physical context. There's an intimacy context. You see, when the Bible talks about knowing someone, there is a mental level of it, and there is an intimate level of it, and they are connected. So when the Bible says we, should, we are to know God, it's not just simply, a, yeah, there's a God. No, no, no. It's a, and we come back to this, it's a relationship thing. There's an intimate knowledge about it. For instance, I can say that, um, you know, I can say that I know my wife. You might know my wife too, but not like I know my wife. You might know my wife, but you don't know the things about her that I know about her. Because our level of knowledge is much, much, much closer than, than she has with anybody else. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about this idea of knowing so he says, by this we know that we've known him. 
And the language, what's, it, it's really, really cool because it's something that says, here's the way to say it. What I'm doing in the present is because of something I did in the past. By this, I know that I know him because I've been known by him. In other words, it, it, it goes this way. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. Obey his commands is something in the present, right? What about knowing him? That's something that happened in the past. And in the language, by the way, present, it's, it's in a present tense. We keep his commands. By this we know that we have known him, past tense. So in other words, here's what he's saying. And I know it's really complicated, but I'm going to make it simple in a second. So just hang on. I get all the concepts out there first, then I'll time together. He's saying this. Because of something I did in the past, I keep his commandments. Let me give it to you this way. Um, December 17th, 1983. My wife and I got married. Almost 30 years ago. This year, this year will be our 30th anniversary. And she has not killed me, so we're good. Um, <laughs> it, 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 that's something I did in the past. Because I am married, there are things I do in the present. Yesterday, for instance. Um, Saturdays is like a sacred day in our house. And the sacred day starts by my wife sleeping in. It's the only day of the week to sleep in. My wife sleeps in. I get up before her and wait for her to get up. Because the reason I wait for her to get up is when she gets up, I make her breakfast. That's our thing. That's, our, that's, our, that's like our ritual thing. So when she gets up, so sometimes breakfast is at one time and sometimes it's at another time. Um, so... <laughs> and that's fine. She works hard all week. I don't, I don't believe me. I do not bat an eye at doing this. And I like to do that. Now, here's the reason. Now, here's the thing. Why do I do that? I do that because 30 years ago, I committed to love, honor, and cherish her. Because of that commitment in the past, I am doing things for our fellowship in the present. I don't get up on Saturday mornings and fix her breakfast in order to continue to be married or in order to get married. No, it's not something I'm doing now for something in the future. It's something I'm doing now because of the past. This is what John says. We know that we know him. We know that there's something in the past. One of the ways that we know is because in the present, we keep his commands. There's something that's, that's causing us to keep his commands in the present, and that's that relationship in the past. I fellowship in the present because of the relationship in the past. Do you get that? I serve my wife today because I married her 30 years ago. I'm not coming to your house and making you breakfast on a Saturday morning. Forget it. I got no commitment to you that way. All right? I may love you and I may serve you as your pastor, but I am not making you breakfast on Saturday morning, all right? I do that for my wife. Why? Because I have a relationship with her and it's one of the parts of fellowship. I don't look at it as a chore. I don't look at it as a burden. I don't look at it as a, I just wait for her to get up and it's our thing. It's our thing. I say that to say, this is what John's saying. He's saying, one of the ways that we know, one of the ways that I can know that I have a relationship with him 
is I obey his commands. I, one of the ways that I know that I have a relationship is because I'm, I'm in fellowship. I don't have fellowship in order to have the relationship. I have fellowship because of the relationship. Got it? That's really important, okay? Because now he's going to go to the other side of the coin here in a second. Um, and here's what he's going to say. Um, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. John now throws this out. He says, okay, let me talk to you about this guy who's saying, I've reached nirvana, and I'm up there, and, and, and I've, got, I've got it all together. He's addressed that guy earlier when he said, the truth's not in him. If he says that he's not, he, he doesn't sin, then, then, then he's a liar. Now he talks about this guy who says, I, I'm kind of up there, but I have a relationship with God, but I can do whatever I want down here. He says, that guy who says, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, but you know what? I, I, I do whatever I want to do. That whole God, Christianity, church thing, not my thing. He says, that guy, he said, he's a liar. The truth is not him. He's a counterfeit. He's kidding himself. So if your attitude is, yeah, I prayed a prayer and I trusted Christ, so I'm a Christian, but... That whole church Christian thing, I don't want anything to do with it. That whole Bible thing, I don't want anything to do with it. That whole praying, reading your Bible, following God thing, nope, that's not for me. I'm just like going to do my own thing. That John would say you're a counterfeit. You're kidding yourself. You're kidding other people. Because you can't do that as a believer. There's got to be within you, if you're a believer, there's a desire to do what's right. It doesn't mean you always do what's right, but there's a desire to do what's right. Because Paul addressed that. Paul said, look, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. Ah! You know, he says, I'm, there's that constant struggle. He said, I'm trying to do what's right. I want to do what's right, but every time I do something, I mess it up. So we're not talking about doing it right all the time. We're talking about what's that desire? What's that internal drive that's saying, I want to? I don't have to make my wife breakfast on Saturday morning. Our, our marriage would be fine if I didn't do that. But it's better because I do that. See, it's not like, it's not like I, I read in the Bible somewhere where it says make your breakfast, wife breakfast on Saturday morning. It was something that I thought, you know what? I can make her breakfast on Saturday morning. It's her only day to sleep in. So I, 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 I try to protect that time as much as possible for her. I try not to schedule, you know, I don't look at her and go, hey, honey, guess what I got planned for 6 o'clock on Saturday morning? <laughs> you know, I'm going to take you to breakfast. No, no. So I do that for her. Why? Because we have the, I, I know that it enhances our fellowship. It, it, it helped because of our relationship. And John says, look, he said, the man who says, I know him, I have this, this relationship with him, but does whatever he wants, he goes, uh-uh, he's a liar. He's a counterfeit. If that's you, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I prayed a prayer and I'm a Christian, but I can live however I want, John says, no, no, you're a counterfeit. This book is written so you can know. One of the ways you can know is if you say that you love him, then there's going to have to be a desire to want to at least do what he says. doesn't mean you do, but there's a desire that says, you know, I probably shouldn't do that. And he goes on. <clears throat> oh, oh, no, we'll go back. Go back, go back, 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 back. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. That's how we know we're in him. So now John takes it to the next level. And he says, okay, because I, if I obey his commands, 
you know, it's because I've got that relationship with him. And then, then he takes it a step further. He says, and listen, here's what's going to happen. If you obey his word, God's love is truly made complete. Um, what he's saying is, as you start to fellowship with him, as you start to obey his word, you start to see things the way God sees things. And God's love, God's attitude, God's outlook on things start to mature and be made perfect. Remember Jesus Christ on the cross, he cries out to tell us die, it is finished. Same word. When he says made complete. One of God's purposes in your life is to get you to develop to start to see things the way he sees things. And when you become obedient to his word, it starts to change you. That's what he's saying. God's love starts to work in and through your heart. Why? Because you start to see things the way God sees things. And notice he says he's going to be complete in him. <clears throat> this is John who's writing this, remember? Okay. Um, listen to John 14. Uh, go jump to that one, guys. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father? The Father is in me. These words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He goes on to say this. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. That's what he said in 1 John chapter 2. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He said, look, one of the things about me, Jesus is saying, is I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. And he's saying, when you walk in fellowship with me, then you are in him too. And God starts to work in and through your life. John 15, you know this passage. Listen to this. Um, you already cling because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, look, you're connected to me. Fellowship. Go out and do it on your own. It's not going to last. But he goes on to say this. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When you try to do it on your own, it, it fails. But you do it through me. Jesus is saying, we can do great things. He said, that's my, that's my purpose. That's my goal for you. And that's what John said. Go back to 1 John, the first one, guys. <clears throat> but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. That's how we know we're in him. When God starts to do it, that's how I know that I'm in Christ. Again, it comes back to this idea of no. And then he ends it this way. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And how did Jesus walk? Everybody goes, well, you know, he's like God. That was, that's easy. No, no. Jesus, he just told us. He lived by doing what the Father wanted him to do. That's, that's how he did. Now, a whole lot of theory. Some of you are lost as goose in a snowstorm. I'm going to help try to illustrate it. Try to think out how I can illustrate it. Okay. Um, you got to move for me, buddy. you got to move or I'm gonna, you're going to lose your Legos. Josh, come here. Okay, Josh, stand right here. Stand right here. All right. Okay, I, I'm going to try I tried to think of a way to illustrate this. No, because I know what you'll do if I can you 20 bucks. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's say, I'm, I, again, this is the illustration. It's really loose, but I think I can illustrate it this way. Let's say I'm God, okay? 
And I know that Lael has retired from farming and he's struggling financially. Okay? Because now he's a, you know, he, let's assume he's not the retired rich farmer that he is. Let's, um, no. <laughs> he's retired. So, so let's say I know that Lael is in need of $20. Okay? I'm God. I got a lot of ways I can do it. Right? One of the ways that I could do it if I wanted to and I'm God is I could just come over and drop $20 out of heaven and it could land in Lael's lap and he's got his 20 bucks. I'm God. I'm God, right? I can do that. But that's not how God chooses to do it. That's not how God chooses to do it. God w- would rather work... I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading Colin Powell's book right now. And in Colin Powell's book, it's really fascinating. One of the things that he talks about in the military is what's called a force multiplier. Here's what he says. In the military, there's something called a force multiplier. What you do is you look for something that can multiply the impact of your, of, of your force. So in, in, in the battle, you look for force multipliers in order to give yourself an advantage on a battlefield. So as an example, predator drones are force multipliers. What it allows me to do is take a small group of people, control a drone to see a huge area in order to have a battle and multiply the effectiveness of the forces that are on the ground. It would take me a whole troop to spread out all over that area, but I can take a small group, that drone can become a force multiplier for me in battle, and I can be 10 times more effective with a smaller amount of resources. God is a force multiplier. That's how God wants to work. Jesus comes to the earth, what does he do? He gets 12 guys and spends the majority of his time with 12 guys so that they can go out and take that message to the world, and those guys multiply it by those guys, by those guys, by those guys. Rather than Jesus Christ coming in and saying, okay, I don't need anybody else. I'm going to do all the healing, all the miracles, all the preaching. Just hope you guys get it. No, he invests everything in those 12 guys. And that's who he spends the majority of his time with. There are times that Jesus walks away from a crowd that he could have healed to spend time with 12 guys because he knew that when he was gone, those 12 guys, everything rested with those 12 guys. And so God has chosen to use men. So, here's what God, so this is what God's going to do. God's going to try to come over and say, hey, Josh, I want you to give that to Lael. Okay? Now, here's the thing. What's Josh going to do? You're exactly right. We don't know what Josh is going to do. Why? Because that depends upon my relationship, my fellowship with me. How much does he want to please me? How much does he want to... So that's one way he can do it. Okay? And most of us would say, yeah, that's what God does. This is how God works. God says, okay, hey, look, see him, go give him 20 bucks. That's not how God works. That's not how God works. That's what John's talking about. John's talking about fellowship based on relationship. So Josh is my son. That's why I picked him as an illustration. So it goes something like this. Okay, by by the way, that assumes that Josh wants to listen to me today. (laughs) Yeah, what if Josh is going, you know what, hey, look, I got my own thing. I don't have time for you. You know, look, if I would have told him to come up right now, he goes, hey, no, 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 look, I got an appointment. I'll see you later. Then guess what? He loses out because God will find somebody else. You need to know that's the way God works. God's going to get his plan accomplished. I mean, God will use a donkey if he has to, all right? So God will get his plan accomplished. But here's the thing. God is a force multiplier. He wants to work not only in Lael's life, but in Josh's life. 
So here's how it works instead. Josh, Josh checks in. I, I come to Josh. I'm always here. I'm always ready for Josh. Josh, and I say, hey, Josh, let, let's go for a walk, buddy. How's everything going? Good. How's the girl? Good. Yeah, let's have a seat. Sit up here. So how's it going? Good? Girl doing good? Yeah. How's work? Long. Okay. School going good? Yes. Parents are great, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we're fellowshipping. We spend time. I'm asking a lot of questions to Josh, but at some point, what's Josh going to do? Good, good. Got some things I'm concerned about. <laughs> See that guy right there? Yep. Struggling. He um, lost his job. His kid robbed the farm from him. <laughs> he, uh, his wife... Wife, yeah. His wife's not cooking. He's starting to lose weight. You know, we were talking the other day, and he was saying he'd give anything for like 20 bucks. But other than that, I'm doing okay. Now what's he going to do? See... God wants Josh wants wants Josh to see Lael through my eyes. I in our relation in our fellowship can start to develop a love to where he wants to take things that are important to my life and do something about them. So the reality of it is when we have this fellowship on a regular basis, he's going to start to see the world through my eyes. He's going to start to see the needs of Lael. And here's the reality. Back here, if I handed him 20 bucks, how much would Lael have gotten? 20 bucks. Now, here's a question. How much is Lael going to get down? more. <laughs> Yeah. You see you see you see what I'm talking about? This is what John's saying. John's saying one way that I know that I'm in him is that in that fellowship with him, I want to start to do things that are important to him. Yeah, I want to obey him, but it's more than that. The more I obey him, the more our fellowship deepens. The more our fellowship deepens, the more he learns about me, the more he learns about me, the more he starts to see the world through my eyes, and the love that I have for Lael now becomes his love, and he then starts to take a, a part in his life, and I have force multiplied, if you will, a simple situation where he needs 20 bucks. And now, when it's all said and done, here's my question. When we're all done with this, What's he going to do? He's going to keep tabs on Lael and make sure that in the future, if Lael has needs and he can meet them, he will. 
But if I just handed him 20 bucks, and he walked over and said, here, here's 20 bucks from God. This is what God wants to do. This is what John's trying to illustrate to you. God wants us to fellowship so that God's burdens become his burdens, and he starts to meet God's burdens through him, and in the process, both of them grow. And they develop, you see this in John a lot, and they develop fellowship. And they start to fellowship. And then down the line, Lael goes, hey, how come you get it? Well, you know, it's something God just impressed upon my heart. Now what happened? Now all of a sudden, Lael starts to develop his, relationship, his fellowship with God, and then they say, you know, Lael's trying to help somebody else. Exactly right. Okay, you can go sit down. <laughs> sorry, you're out 20 bucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> forget it. Yeah, forget it. I was going to use, I was going to, I know, there you go. But, okay, does that make sense to you? Okay, because here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. Some of you have been through some horrendous things. And there is somebody over there on the other side of the church, maybe on the other side of the community, on the other side of your cubicle at work, who's going through the same things you have been through. And yeah, I as a pastor can walk over and say, hey, look, you know, I... I understand, you know, you're going through cancer, and, and, and I'm really sorry, and I'm praying for you. And so, but let me tell you something. It's nothing like somebody who's been through cancer walking over and saying, hey, look, let me tell you what's ahead. And let me tell you how I got through it. And here's my phone number, and here's my email, and there's nothing you can say to me that's going to shock me because I'm in your corner because I've been there. But that only happens when we are in fellowship with God so that when God speaks, we listen. Instead of saying, you know what, God, look, you know, I've got to get going, man. Just don't have time for you this morning. Just don't have time today. You know what, God, you know, I'd really love to have the talk, you know, but it's like, um, i got to go, I got to go do this. And we miss so much of what God wants to do in us and through us when we walk in fellowship in Him. That's what John's talking about. He challenges this idea. He says, look, when we're obedient, it starts to develop the love of God in our hearts, and then we start to get close, and then we start doing stuff because it's not going to be in anybody's nature to say, here's 20 bucks. The old nature says, keep, not give. The, the old nature says it's about you, not about them. And, and if we could grasp this, we would be amazed at the difference it makes in our life. And you'll start to see the love of God, as, as, as the Bible says, the love of God shed abroad in your heart. And it will start to work its way out in that. And you will start to see things in a way that you've never seen them before. And that's what John's talking about. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenge. Two takeaways, first of all. First one is assurance. Look, this book is written so that you can know you have eternal life. So my question to you is, is there a time, a place, or whatever you want to call it, an experience, whatever you want to call it, where you know that you put your faith and trust in Christ? Not in baptism or, 
or, or church membership or, 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 or something else. But you put your faith and trust in Christ. In my case, there was a day that I got married. I don't always remember the date, but um, there was a day. You know, I know it's December 17, 1983 right now because it's coming up. Um, and I got to get her something. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, it, it, there was a date, there was a time, there was a place, there was an instance in which that happened. Because of that, there are things that I do today. The question for you is, is there a desire to do what's right? Is there a desire to obey God? I mean, there's got to be something probably there or you wouldn't be here today. Is there a desire in your heart that says, I want to please God? Is there something in your heart that says, you know, that's probably not good and I probably don't need it and I, I need to be changing this in my life? Is there that desire there? John says, look, the, the, the people who, who are doing that, trying to keep his commands, and by the way, it's not the Ten Commandments, it's commands, the teachings of Christ as well. He said, the people who are trying to do that, he said, is there that, is that there, is that present? Now, some of you struggle with your salvation. Let me, let me help you here for a second. If I'm God and you're questioning your salvation, what's my purpose in questioning your salvation? What do I want from you? If I'm God. Yeah, I, I want you to get saved, right? I, I want you to put your faith and trust in Christ. That's my goal, right? If I'm Satan and I'm questioning your salvation, what's my goal? To get you to quit. Identify the source. If you're sitting here this morning and you're questioning your salvation and the idea is, well, you know, it's, you know, there's, because the, again, Satan's accuser of brethren, so what's he going to do? He's going to throw all the stuff at you. Oh, how in the world can you be a Christian and talk like that? Can you, I can't believe you listened to that story. I can't believe you watched that thing. I can't believe you did this. They say, you can't call yourself Christian. You're not a Christian. Because what's Satan trying to do? He's trying to get me to quit. If God was doing that, what's God's goal? To get me to trust Christ. And change. So, so look at the outcome of what you're trying to do. If your response is, I quit, I'm going to throw it in the hole. You know, it's probably not an issue of your salvation as much as it is an issue of your assurance. Make sense? So, you know, settle it. This book's written so you can know. You, you don't have to have all those second thoughts and let Satan win all those battles of constantly getting you to question your salvation. It's something you know. No one can get me to question whether or not I'm married. I've even got pictures when I forget. Okay? <laughs> and by the way, kids, it's on film. Yeah, it's on film. I, we actually have an audio tape of it, of this service. We've listened to it once in a while. It's, it's hilarious. Our entire service was like 12 minutes. Um, but you know what? I know. You can't get me to question whether or not. Why? Because I am assured of my marriage. You need to have that kind of assurance of your salvation. Okay? This book's written so you can do that. So you need to settle that. For others of you, here's the thing. You're a Christian. There's no, there's no question, like in my marriage, no question you're married. No question I got married. But that doesn't mean that i in fellowship with my wife all, every time. That's something I have to work at on a regular basis. There's no question for some of you you're safe. The issue for you is whether or not you're walking in fellowship with him, responding to him. You're trying, some of you, you're trying to handle stuff on your own. And you've got that good old Midwestern independent spirit, which, by the way, is fine. 
When you're recovering from surgery and you're going through therapy, I hope you're as independent as you can get. No, I'm going to do this. No matter what that therapist says, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah, they tell me to do 10 reps. I'm going to do 10 reps. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I, that's when you need that independent spirit. But you don't need it when you go to work tomorrow. When you get up in the morning and you say, God, I'm going to work, and you know so-and-so, like three cubicles down, who's always making my life a living nightmare. God, you know that person that I'm going to have to deal with today. And you know what I want to say. And you know what I have every right to say, God. And God, you know that somebody should say it to them. But God, you're going to have to help me keep my mouth shut today. Because if it's going to happen today, it's only going to be through you. So God, today, I need you to work in and through me. I need to do it in your power, your strength, because I can't do it on my own. That situation that you've got your hands so tight on that God's not working, that's what you've got to do. That situation where you're struggling, then you're going to have to go to God's Word, find out what God says, and, and be obedient. When God says, love your enemies, you've got to love them. When God says, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with them, live peacefully with them. You're going to have to do that in and through Christ can only do those kinds of things in fellowship and as you do in fellowship you know what you'll start to see because i've watched this I, i've done I, I, i've experienced it i experienced this where some where, where you know somebody is just you 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 know i mean good night i'll be honest with you i mean i prayed for people god i don't want to pray for him but the only reason i'm praying for him is because you tell me i got to pray for him because they're they're out to ruin my life god here's what you'll find you pray that long enough you will actually start to see them through God's eyes. And here's the crazy thing. And this is the craziest thing in the world for me. You will actually start to have compassion and sympathy for them. And that's a God thing. And that's a God thing only. And, and I want to challenge you because some of you, this is what's happening. You're missing that fellowship part and God wants to work in and through you. Just like in this situation with Josh, but you know what? If you don't have time for him, if, you don't, if you're not dependent upon him, if you're doing your own thing, then you can't experience that. But John says, man, that's the joy that comes in fellowship that we all ought to be able to experience. And that's what he wants for us. Well, my challenge for you is this. End it with this. Uh, benediction, ending, I don't know what you want to call it. May you go into this week with the assurance of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. May you walk in fellowship. May you allow Him to work through you and what He wants to accomplish in and through your life this week.